Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, of course, Ukraine is a top of mind subject. We have further invasion coming uh, from Vladimir Putin, from the Russians. You have over 130 dead at last count. That count is going to go up sometime within the time we're talking together, guys. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. And if you go to 93WIBC, facebook.com slash 93WIBC, you'll see videos that we've been making of our time here, brought to you by Relay Indiana. And very much appreciate our sponsors for allowing us uh, this opportunity. But while Ukraine is a top subject, the conversation of sanctions is a top subject, or the lack thereof, if you will. There are also a lot of, as you may have heard Kira Davis talking about just earlier, cultural issues going on and being discussed. One of those is about the church. And there is a movie, Enemies Within the Church, which, as is described, is an educational, historical, and evidence-based movie experience that provokes a passionate return to Orthodox Christian faithfulness across the Western world. And it's really a question of what has happened to the institution of the church. We talk a lot about not being able to trust the institutions. What happens when you can't trust the church? Trevor Loudon joins us right now, author, filmmaker, public speaker out of New Zealand, long time researching Marxism and the radical left. As I uh, met Trevor Loudon many years ago, it was, uh, let me tell you the problem with communism, and drill down upon drill down upon drill down in just a, an absolutely uh, fantastic way, along with a series of, of other subjects that he has spoken about, even some with controversy, but I don't mind controversial people if they can back up their position. Saying that there are enemies within the church, Trevor, that's a controversial position, isn't that, it? That sure is, and it's not something we do lightly. But if people wonder why the churches are not taking the leadership role, while churches are going to the left, while churches are going woke, which is really a euphemism for Marxist, we explain it. Because, um, look, everybody should care about the church, because whether you're religious or not, because the church determines the culture and the culture determines the politics, as Andrew Breitbart always used to say. So we are losing the conservative Christian church in this country that is the church that elected Ronald Reagan, that elected Donald Trump, and is going rapidly to the left. The, part, the uh, Bible colleges and the seminaries are being taken over by blatant Marxists, much like the universities were before them. And the new pastors, who once would have supported Reagan or Trump and free enterprise in the Constitution, they now love Bernie Sanders and Marxism and socialism. That's where the churches are going. Now I want you to get into some definition. And here's the part of the, that matters on definition. Explain to me what it means to say the church is taken over by Marxism. That is something that everybody will say. The school board's been taken over by Marxism. And this one's been taken over. Sure. Definitions matter. Break yep. it down. Okay. Look, there's a long history of this. The old Communist Party USA... The very first communist front in America was the Methodist Federation for Social Action, set up to infiltrate the Methodist Church, because the communists understood that the churches were the backbone of America, and America was the only impediment to world socialism. 
so they had to get into the churches. And that was a deep program through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, even the 50s and the 60s. And the more modern version of it is, is you know, they, they took over, they turned the mainstream churches to the left a long time ago. You know, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, they've, they've gone to the left ages ago. But they didn't have control of the, of, the, of the evangelicals. They didn't have control of the Southern Baptists. And as I said, they would vote for Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. So what they did through the Gospel Coalition about 15 years ago, they started using cultural Marxism. And I'm talking critical race theory. I'm talking the false concept of white privilege, which is, was invented by two communists, Ted Allen and Noel Ignatiev. I'm talking about social justice, which is a euphemism for socialism. All of these have been infiltrated into the seminaries, into the Bible colleges. They are now rampant in the evangelical churches. And at the same time, they've abandoned the bedrock of the church. They've abandoned the Old Testament. They've abandoned the Ten Commandments. It's all about love now, and it's all about a socialist kind of left-wing, you know, sort of um, a left-wing non-masculine type of love. So... You know, the, you know, this is, you know, the, the word woke, we hear about the woke church, right? Woke means you're, you're conscious of issues of race and class and so, social injustice. That comes from Maoism. When they used to put people on trial, they'd say, you're a capitalist roader. Your, your father was a business owner. And they'd get all these people together and raise their consciousness of class issues. We would have called it brainwashing. They called it consciousness raising. That is what wokeism in the churches. It's Maoist, communist, Marxist. And if you want to think of it differently, if you know anything about uh, Mao's China, you'd be talking about things like the struggle sessions, yeah, which that, is exactly, exactly what cancel what culture is all about. Exactly. We are seeing Maoism, cancel culture, struggle sessions. On a, you know, you're in a big business. You've got to prove how anti-racist you are. You've got to prove how anti-capitalist you are and how, how you care about social justice. That is the same as what happened in those struggle sessions for, that were under Mao Zedong. Well, that is also in the churches. You've got to prove how anti-racist you are. Not, not, not just that you're not racist, you've got to prove how anti-racist you are by supporting groups like Black Lives Matter, which, which goes, is a Chinese communist operation. And goes into the idea of something called proving a negative. Proving how a ne does how do one you, you, prove a negative? You cannot. So you're always on the defensive. You're always chasing it. You can never satisfy the inquisitors. You can never be good enough or virtuous enough. You're always... You've got to debase yourself more and more and more. So what they're doing in the churches, the old communist paradigm was the working class would rise up and take the wealth of the capitalists. Now it is the oppressed peoples of color rising up and overturning the white Christian capitalist patriarchy. It's still Marxism, but now it's applied more to culture and to race. So the movie Enemies Within the Church, enemieswithinthechurch.com, Dr. Trevor Loudon speaking to us right now. You have on there four steps to save America. And number three on this list is get equipped with a biblical worldview. Right. I I'm a man of definitions. What do you mean? Well, a they've done surveys in churches, and only a very small percentage of Christians, only a very small percentage of pastors, actually have a biblical worldview. And what that means, 
as you look at the world and make your choices and analyze things according to the Bible in a very in a very close translation, a very close faithful interpretation of the Bible. So you look at things like social justice. Now, from a Christian worldview, that's a perversion. Justice is justice. Social justice is adding a social element to it, a socialist element to it. So if you have a Christian worldview, you would, you would reject social justice. If you had a Christian worldview, you would regard race as a personal issue. You would regard right, the ending racism just means to treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. Right. You do not accept this white guilt, this white privilege, this where you have to and change you also the narrative. Want to apply it. You wouldn't want to apply it because you'd understand from a Christian worldview that this was not Christian. This was Marxism with a little bit of Christianity sprinkled on top to make you accept it. Because most Christians have a very weak Christian worldview, they fall for this garbage. They fall for these fake pastors who come out and preach straight Marxism to the kids they say Jesus at the beginning and God at the end and preach two hours of Marxism and call it Christianity. And because most Christians don't have a real world view, they don't know the difference. And they're sucked into this. Trevor it's Loudon. Brain, it's brainwashing. Now, you can find his work over at Epic Times, theepictimes.com. But you can check out the movie enemieswithinthechurch.com. Uh, See it for yourself. You can watch it with a group. You can watch it at home. Uh, you can buy the DVD. There are options. Distribution ain't it a thing in the internet. You can do it, anything it these sure, days. It sure is. And we're going to have nine languages. It's going to go international because this is a profound movie. Check this it is, out. This is really profound. Enemieswithinthechurch.com. Dr. Trevor Loudon, always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much. Thank you. More to get to at CPAC. I'm Tony Katz. Okay, sir. Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida, presented by Relay Indiana, this is Tony Katz Today. So we have more on Russia coming up, more on what's going on with Ukraine coming up, more on what American response could be Senator Josh Hawley, who was here in Orlando for the Conservative Political Action Conference, addressing the crowd, saying uh, this right here. We need to shut down Russian energy production. We need to open up our own. Joe Biden has made a major strategic error. He's done the exact opposite. He came into office, lifted sanctions on Russian energy pipeline. That just stuffed dollars in Putin's pocket. And he shut down ours. We should sanction their energy sector down to its knees, and we should open up ours. He is not wrong about that. But there have been other moves when it comes to this invasion. And one of them involves Formula One racing. Kurt Darling joins us right now. He's from the newsroom at 93.1 FM WIBC. A racing fan's racing fan, a bit of a guru, and has been following uh, this story. This is where sports and life do indeed intersect. We saw a little bit of this, Kurt, with the Olympics in terms of the low ratings because this took place in China. Formula One saying that it's impossible to hold a race in Russia later this year. What's the race? What's the story? Where does it get rescheduled? So uh, at right now, uh, 
Yeah, there we go. Ari, thank you. Um, so uh, basically right now, it's the Russian Grand Prix. They run it every year at Sochi, where they held the 2020-2014 Winter Olympic Games. And so they built a uh, road course down, down there in Sochi. Um, and yeah, they're basically saying they're not going to run it because of the circumstances surrounding the in, uh, invasion of Ukraine. And as far as I can tell, it's not going to be rescheduled for the 2022 calendar. So they're going to drop an entire event from Formula One. Now, understand that I'm an Indianapolis guy. We're Indianapolis people. IndyCar is everything. The Indy 500 is the greatest race in the history of all races. Only a fool denies the popularity of Formula One uh, and, and uh, of, of racers, drivers like Lewis Hamilton and others. When you take a race like this off the schedule, not only is Formula One taking away the opportunity for, for points and championships, things like that, you're talking about taking away a crazy amount of money. They're putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and just to put it in perspective, obviously, when you're talking IndyCar, or, you know, there's millions of dollars invested to put a car on the grid at any given IndyCar race. Well, for Formula One, you're probably multiplying that uh, that sum by five, maybe even six. So you're talking multi-million dollar, maybe even close to billion dollar operations for every one of these teams that are putting a car on the F1 grid, and they're taking all of that money away. And it's all because of the fact that they feel that strongly about what's going on in Ukraine. Talking to Kurt Darling from the newsroom at 93.1 FM WIBC. Uh, there have been conversations, for example, in tennis when a, a female tennis star got disappeared by China and the, the women's tennis said, OK, we're pulling our events from China. We're simply not going to be a part of this uh, anymore. And now you see this from Formula One, the very concept of taking a stand as opposed to what we see in the NBA. Is it something about uh, specifically racing culture? Is there something about the culture that requires people to be a bit more open because in my in my view of, of of drivers right whether it be indycar or even nascar i know less about the formula one guys they have not been afraid to say things they seem to have a tremendous amount of of driver autonomy is is that just my take on it and is there something different in that racing culture than in other than in other sports well it depends on the series that you're talking about when you're talking indycar there's actually much more openness among the drivers because there's less pressure on the drivers themselves to keep team secrets and stuff like that. In Formula One, it's completely different. Drivers are very monitored closely, so much so that if they say the wrong thing at a press conference, they could literally be docked maybe thousands, maybe even like a good portion of their paycheck per race. And so there's a lot of stuff that they have to be very careful about. So in F1, you're very, very secretive. But still, at the same time, one thing that F1 has done, especially in the wake of what happened with George Floyd and, of course, with Lewis Hamilton being very vocal and everything going on with that, they've really made it so that drivers can speak up. And they kind of empowered drivers in F1 to kind of speak up more about certain issues going on in the rest of the world. And one thing that illustrates that is what Sebastian Vettel, who's a driver for Aston Martin's F1 team, he's he was actually the first to say, I'm not going to race in Russia if you put on an event at Russia. And so more and more drivers started following his suit. And then that basically just brought us to the point, okay, well, the FIA, we're just going to cancel the Russian Grand Prix. Does this now go back to sponsors? Of course, uh, driving, uh, racing involves a tremendous amount of sponsorship. So now do the drivers have pressure placed on or does the drivers move have audiences place pressure on sponsors not to do deals with Russia. 
Um, well, it, it depends on the company. Obviously, you know, any with the the way the things that the way the things that are transpiring right now, obviously Russia is the buzzword right now. So any base, if any driver does any dealings with Russia, I'm assuming that there's probably going to be some talkings too about that. But any Russian companies that are sponsoring cars, like the Haas F1 team, which is an American team, by the way. Um, they pretty much just got the cold shoulder from the Haas team, the Eurocali, uh, who is the Russian company that sponsors the Haas team. They actually got their name taken off of the Haas car, and Haas is just running a plain white livery in testing today and coming up later on for the first race on the circuit. So it's not so much drivers doing deals with teams, but uh, doing with companies, but rather primary sponsors dealing with teams and the only instance that we've seen of that is the Haas F1 team giving the boot to Dmitry Mazepin's company and he is one of the oligarchs that President Putin has been consulting with throughout this entire thing when it comes to going over the sanctions that have been levied by President Biden and so it was a pretty cut and dry decision by the Haas F1 team to say hey yeah we're going to we're going to take your name off of the car right now until we see how the rest of the situation plays out which is amazing how how this story connects cuz you you wonder how much of this was a, a savior face maneuver. I'm not uh, disagreeing with F1. This is a personal position. But you had an owner who's a Russian oligarch. That's that's a little too close for comfort. And F1 making a decision, a business decision, one wonders if that wasn't the case, if there wasn't the connection there, whether or not that decision would have been made at all, whether or not they would have made the decision to to say, hey, we're not having this race. We don't want to be around this because we got to engage some distance. If there was no family connection if you will <laughs> right well, well yeah and, then, and, and the family one of the family connections is the fact that nikita mazepin who is the second driver for haas he is the son of dimitri mazepin so there's a little bit of nepotism right there but he brings home the cash so that's why they were a big primary sponsor for the haas f1 team but haas f1 is standing up we're, they're saying we're going to take all this money away from the team just because we don't want to be connected with what's going on with ukraine because maybe the, the there's worse things on the other side Side, which now makes you wonder, are they moving out of altruism and a feeling that this isn't acceptable, or are they moving out of self-preservation? It's a conversation that's going to unfold. Kurt Darling from the 93.1 FM WIBC Newsroom, I appreciate you taking the time. We are here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. The speeches are going on. People are gearing up for Trump. I'll tell you what I've been hearing. And don't get me wrong, Ukraine has really taken the energy, but it's also put people in a whole new direction national security was something they were only chatting about before now it's front and center that does not help biden nor democrats in november keep it here i'm tony katz this is tony katz today Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida, presented by Relay Indiana, this is Tony Katz Today. Well, it's certainly under threat, uh, and it could well be under siege. Uh, This is the uh, opening salvo of a massive uh, invasion, and we see this continuing uh, and uh, threatening Kyiv and threatening other major cities in Ukraine. And as we start getting later in the day here... Nightfall in Ukraine means more violence and more bloodshed. Zelensky letting EU leaders know this might be the last time you see me alive. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. I want to take a 
break from the CPAC going on. And, I, and I'm going to get into what, I, what my takeaway is here. And we've got more videos uh, coming out. We've got more interviews that are being uh, scheduled uh, for, for the weekend. We'll get those on video and we'll, we'll get them out to everybody. Uh, there is a, a real horror here beyond the basics. But the basics shouldn't be ignored. And the basics is people are dying and are going to die in large measure. The, the, the siege on Ukraine, what I would refer to um, a, a, a siege, uh, the, the, the killing of people there, the bombing raids that took place, these things are not in a, in a vacuum. They do and they should affect us. What is fascinating is right now as we speak, the Dow is up over 700 points. It's up 786 because of the new development, the latest development, uh, that Russia is open to discussions with Ukrainian leaders. But that very idea of a discussion is not one that is based on legitimacy, is it? The very concept, the very idea that you would see a, a discussion, well, we'll sit down with Ukraine, but first they have to demilitarize, and second we want to replace it with a pro-Russia government. And then, and maybe, we'll leave, we'll leave, uh, we'll leave Ukraine alone. That... That's a special kind of hubris right there. That's a special kind of moment right there. When you see uh, th this, this kind of talk. That's the kind of thing that can make the, the, the market say, oh, things are better. Not necessarily better. Not by a long shot. Oil prices right now, they're seeing a downward trend too. Brent crude is down to 96.94. West Texas Intermediate down to 91.12. Brent was over a 105. Brent was high and is now seeing that down, that downward trend from just, just yesterday, really. A lot of things can happen with faith and hope. A lot of things can happen with just a, you know, a, ooh, wouldn't that be nice? But it's not reality. Reality is Ukraine may never be the same. Reality is those areas in southeastern Ukraine, that Donbass area, Luhansk and Donetsk, those, those may never see Russian troops leave. And the idea that you may have people of, of a certain, uh, you know, have, having a, a Russian ethnicity or, 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 or Russian leaning saying, well, at least they're getting what they want. They could have always left Ukraine. And the argument is, well, no, no, no. You see, Ukraine is what, what happened when they built the borders and they shouldn't have been built that way. I don't play that argument. The argument that, well, it should go back to Ukraine is not an argument. Or it should go back to Russia is not an argument. California doesn't go back to Mexico. There was this whole, there used to be a big thing about Reconquista, right? About these areas going back to Mexico. There was a whole thing about give it back to the people who originally had it. I'm here to say, for the record, that if I have to give back California, I will give back California. But I'm only giving it back in its original state. When I give back California, 
I am tearing down every house and every building. I am exploding every dam and power plant. I am ripping every piece of copper and fiber optic out of the ground. And in some places where I spent a generation cultivating the soil so it would grow food, I am salting the earth. And then... After I have taken up all the roads with bulldozers and I have graded the last piece of topsoil, I will return it. If you're not okay with that, what you, don't, what you want is not reconquista. What you want is, is the advantage and the opportunity of everything that was created. And I think you should have to pay for that. Well, Tony, you didn't pay for the land. Well, welcome to the way of the world. And it isn't going to change. If we want to have a conversation in America about slavery, we should have a conversation in America about slavery. But we should have a conversation about the totality of slavery in America, around the globe. We should talk about all the people who owned slaves and all the people who sold slaves and all the people involved in the slave trade and the entire history of slavery that goes far past Slavery in the new world. Don't get me wrong. It's evil. Of course it's evil. There is no question, no conversation. The idea that you can own another person is evil. Okay, maybe you can control another person for like an hour and a half in the bedroom with a safe word. That's, that, that's fine. Mine, by the way, hippopotamus. Owning another <laughs> person is wrong. Of course, the fact that you'd have to say it out loud, stunning. But slavery has happened since the beginning of time. Slavery exists as a conversation biblically. Slavery has been with us. We have sex slavery today. Every bit of it is wrong. So we're going to teach it. We have to teach the whole and the entirety. So don't tell me that we can only look at one part of history. We're going to look at the totality of history. If you want to argue that Ukraine had borders drawn that covered ethnically Russian people and they didn't deserve to be in Ukraine, they could have moved, but the borders drawn and we're done with the conversation. You may want to argue that, oh, look, Putin, all he did was come in and he uh, surrounded Kiev and he took this and he took an airbase and he took that, but then he stopped. That's a good thing. No part of this is good. Every part of this is horrific. Every single part of it. And cannot and should not be forgotten. The question is, not forgotten by whom? Because the people, it seems, in Russia are not so happy. And there have been protests happening in Russia. You know, you protest in Russia, you, you, you go to jail. It's like protesting in Canada. Oh, you can't. My gosh. My God. Ottawa is the new gulag. You can't do that stuff. You know, funny, in, in Russia, they will throw you in jail, but no word on whether or not they freeze your bank accounts. That is only Trudeauism. That, that, <laughs> well, too soon? Too, can I get a ruling on that, please? You're good. All right, thank you. What will the people do? That is a legitimate and solid question. Because they don't like what they're seeing, and all politics are local. Which brings us to... This commentary from Major Mike Lyons. Major Lyons, uh, U.S. Army retired, has been on our show repeatedly, and now, uh, now you're seeing him everywhere. 
we shared them around to a couple of friends, a couple of media friends, and now it's like, oh, I'm too busy for you, cats. Oh, my Newsmax. They had them on CNN. It's like, what? They had an honest assessment of military advancement from, on CNN? I don't know what's happening to the world. But good for him. I, I, like, I like to see it. I think, I think it's terrific. Well, he said something to me that it bothered me. And it bothered me because it was an assessment that wasn't in, in my headspace. And I read some smart people and it wasn't there. He said, this isn't going well for Vladimir Putin. And I said, what do you mean it's not going well for Vladimir Putin? He can take the country in 36 hours. We had discussed this. And Major Lyon's point was, well, he should be able to take it in 36 hours. So why didn't he? Why is this taking so long? Why is this such an issue? Why is he having trouble moving these troops? Why is he having trouble in the air? Why? And part of the answer is, possibly, quite possibly, the Russian military isn't what we thought it was. Still has weaponry, still has force, but maybe not as organized and not as well-equipped as we would have thought. Not as capable and not as determined as we may have been led to believe by a blowhard Vladimir Putin. You mean they can't advance the way they, they wanted to advance or we thought they would advance because they don't really have either the equipment or the manpower or the know-how or the mind? Well, that's saying quite a bit. You mean the Ukrainians are actually fighting back in a way that the Russian forces didn't prepare for? We knew that they had weaponry. We knew that they had this. But we didn't know that the Ukrainians had, had a willingness of, of, of this magnitude. Yes, I knew they had willingness. They had people who were willing to fight. I don't ever want to call into question the, 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 the strength and the, and the willingness of the people. I am saying that we're seeing something that maybe we weren't expecting and maybe they are more emboldened by their ability to be successful. We're seeing now protests in Russia. All politics are local. What happens when Putin has to look the people, Russian people in the eye, or better yet, they look him and say, you mean you told us we were taking this back? You told us it was ancestral. You told us it was a national security issue. And you didn't get it? And now we've got all these sanctions? And now we think you're a schmuck? And wait a second. What do we need you for? There's some fascinating things that are going on here. So the first thing we have to keep in mind is those people who are dead because of Vladimir Putin. And then we have to take a look at what Joe Biden has not done. That is the part two of that story. It's coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida, presented by Relay Indiana, this is Tony Katz Today. So you guys know I do some work there over at Newsmax, and I do weekday, and I, I've done weekends, and usually weekends, it's, it's uh, Joe Pinion, and uh, sometimes he's filling in as an anchor on, on weekday. Very, very nice guy. I didn't know him. I didn't know him, but there he is. He's anchoring. I'm like, very, very cool. He's asking good questions. I like it. And then one day he's gone. He's gone from Newsmax. I'm like, ooh, job opportunity for Tony. 
No, I'm never going to be an anchor. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. No, no, no. He left to run for Senate in New York against Chuck Schumer. Joe Pinion joins us right now. What the hell are you thinking? Well, look, if you ask uh, my mother, uh, she thinks I've bumped my head. Uh, look, it was, uh, it was a very difficult decision. Newsmax, in many ways, the opportunity of a lifetime uh, to be able to get my ideas out there, to fight for those conservative principles at a time when millions of Americans uh, were fleeing traditional carriers, looking for a source of truth. But as I told my mother when she was done weeping, uh, there are some things in life worse than not having your own television show. It's called not having the country. And when you look at Chuck Schumer has done to New York State, what he has allowed to happen to this nation, uh, where we have Americans stranded in Afghanistan to this day, uh, because that invaluable principle of no American left behind left in tatters, as we have people falling to their death from 30,000 feet in the air, uh, from planes with U.S. government emblazoned on the side. And we have seniors that just watched the largest increase in a generation wiped out due to runaway inflation, due to the runaway printing of money, uh, Due to a virus of foreign origin for which we have yet to hold the nation of origin accountable in China. Uh, all of these things combined, you have homicide reaching all-time highs. Twelve U.S. cities hit all-time highs for homicide, shooting up 90% in New York City. Homicide up 30% because of the three most dangerous words in the history of modern politics, defund the police. Uh, and yet you have Chuck Schumer kneeling in African kente cloth in the Capitol Rotunda calling all of this justice. So uh, take your pick. Uh, but it was clear to me uh, that standing behind a desk at Newsmax stopped feeling like an act of principle and started feeling like an act of cowardice when I believed that we had the opportunity once in a generation to build an uncommon coalition, to have a whole uncommon message that could be victorious come November and help us put American values first again. The website, by the way, Joe Pinion, P-I-N-I-O-N, Joe Pinion, dot com is the website you can go learn more about joe i only got a, a couple of minutes here um people will look at a race like chuck schumer and they'll say senate majority leader uh well i don't like his politics popular amongst the progressives in 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 new york but you think that there is a there's he, he's beatable and there's a path in life, your greatest strengths often become your greatest weaknesses. Chuck Schumer, six years ago, your average American couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Today, every American knows who he is and what he has done and the pain he has inflicted on the average American family. And so we've already raised money from 46 different states uh, because people know what Chuck Schumer does in the name of New Yorkers impacts every single American. And so we've said quite clearly the thesis of our campaign, if you are unhappy with the world as it is today, you cannot vote for the architects who have built it. Chuck Schumer is the architect of architects. He is the hand-picked senator of the 1% for Wall Street. He does not work for the rest of us. And so we know whether you are left of Bernie Sanders, whether you are right of Donald Trump, his fingerprints are on everything that has gone wrong in politics today. And so the polling numbers tell me that independents are fleeing like rats from a burning ship. He's at 30% with independents. The poll that came out today, public polling, Siena College, he's at 46% approval rating. The numbers are in. And you can look at New York and think that it is a disaster. But for me, uh, there is a huge opportunity if we come together, if people go to JoePinion.com, if they help us knock on 7 million doors, we know that we can shock the world. And if there's one race that can reset America, it's sending Chuck Schumer to the retirement home of politics once and for all. Damn, you got that well put together. You got that well put together. 
It's not. It, you know, it works because it's the truth. <laughs> Newsmax training will get you places, people. <laughs> That's what it will do. Uh, Joe Pinion, man, look, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry we don't get to interact uh, on, on Newsmax anymore. And I'm, and I'm sorry I wasn't tapped to replace you. It was very, very wrong. <laughs> but I was never going to leave Indiana, so it wasn't going to work. Oh, you know, make me live in West Palm like an animal? Never. Uh, but I, I appreciate you, man. And I, I wish you all the best. We're going to keep an eye on this race. Uh, I've got about 30 seconds. Is there a crowded Republican field for so, primaries? Uh, by the grace of God, Monday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I will become the first black man nominated for United States Senate in the history of New York State by either party. Uh, so that should preclude a primary unless someone's going to spend a lot of money. So we're excited about that. Tomorrow, I become the conservative party nominee. So we have a conservative movement rowing in the same direction to make sure that Chuck Schumer's reign of tyranny can come to an end once and for all. Good Lord. I've never been that smooth about anything in my life. And I once went down a slip and slide when I was eight. <laughs> Joe Pinion, P-I-N-I-O-N, JoePinion.com. We're going to follow this race, man. My man. I'll be there on Victory Night. God bless, brother. Catch you later. We've got more. More. Oh, bring it all, the bourbon. What are you? Have we met? I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today.